Why, good morning. It is the big day. It's the car show day, and they, they told me to try and keep it short uh, if I can. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I got a good bit of grandpa in me. Uh, my grandpa, my, uh, my pastor back home, uh, he knew how to deliver a nice long sermon, and apparently I got a bit of that in me as well. Um, but it's not only uh, the car show today, um, but it's also mine and Jamie's uh, first wedding anniversary. Uh, so... I know, Jamie, only a year. That's some of the thoughts she's thinking right now. But yes, we made it a year. Um, and even though we are married, uh, we do not always agree on everything. Does any other married couples experience this? Okay, we're, we're not on our own, Jamie. That, that is good to hear. Jamie and I uh, used to frequently uh, debate uh, who was better, Northern drivers or Southern drivers? We, we used to have this common debate because if you don't know, I'm from the North and Jamie is from the South. And so we used to debate frequently, you know, who's better? And I would say, you know, Northern drivers are better. You know, we, we tend to stick to the rules more and we have more respect for the law. And then Jamie will go something like, yeah, well, Southerners are better. Our, our roads are a lot more curvy and so that gives us better training and practice and driving. And we go back and forth as far as who is uh, the better driver. But one day uh, that uh, debate or whatever it was, it was settled. Um, And I'll bring you back to that day. So if if you don't know, I was born and raised in Michigan. um, And I lived there all my life. And then I went to school down in Georgia at the Atlanta Bible College. And after I graduated there, um, I uh, interned in South Carolina at the Guthrie Grove Church, uh, where uh, actually Jamie and and her family uh, go to. Um, well, well, her family now. Um, and so I was interning there, and I was with Pastor Andy, and I got, we got there late Saturday night, and we had church on Sunday. And then Monday rolled along, really like my first day on the job as an intern uh, with Pastor Andy. And I was driving Pastor Andy in my car, um, and we were having a good time because uh, we knew each other prior from different camps and so forth. Uh, he helps run the UP Project with Julie Driscoll. She talked about that from time to time here. And I, I knew him from the other camps like Family Camp and Fuel and so forth. And, and we got along very well. And so I was, we were both enjoying our time as I was driving there. We, we were driving to the Penske uh, rental uh, stop as he was in the process of moving um, and so we, we were driving, and uh, I stop at a, a red light, because, you know, that's what we do up north. We, we stop at red lights. <laughs> and, and then comes behind me a big honking semi, and he rear-ends me. And, and now he wasn't going fast. He, he was probably only going a couple miles per hour, but it was just so massive that the force was pretty strong behind it, and it shook us up a bit. And so we, we go get out of the street and whatever, and, and we settle it, um, and uh, we, we get through. I go, go through looking for my paperwork. I'm in the process of moving as well. I was like, I'm like, man, I don't have all my paperwork because I'm in the process of moving and stuff, and I'm not really the best with paperwork anyways, um, so that didn't help either. Um, and so I had to call uh, Jamie, and Jamie and her mother came rushing to the scene uh, to bring my paperwork before the cops there because we waited for... At least, easily at least over an hour for the cops to show up. And so the, as we're talking, Jamie and I, and you know, I, I tell her, you know, from this day on, forever, unless something else happens, northern drivers are better than southern drivers. My first day on the job in South Carolina, and I got rear-ended. <laughs> and so it was settled then until something else happens, until, until one of you yahoos rear-ends Jamie up here in the north then. 
then, then she'll have uh, something to uh, say about that. So I got, uh, so the insurance covered all, the other dude's insurance, and uh, rather than taking it to the shop, um, I just uh, kind of worked on it myself, and I'm a no mechanic um, by any means, um, but I got the trunk to close, the trunk wouldn't close, uh, that was the main thing, um, and so it's functional, um, but it's still very evident uh, that I got rear-ended. Um, when, when you're out there looking at all these nice, beautiful, old-fashioned old cars, and you're giving them the oohs and the ahs, you, you can go look at my Hyundai Accent and laugh at it as uh, it's got that uh, dent or, or the, the scratches in the back because it's very evident um, that I got rear-ended. And at first, when that first happened, uh, I was kind of embarrassed uh, to drive it around because I didn't want people to think I was a bad driver. And, you know, like, I, I kind of looked like a fool driving uh, that car around, and I don't like to look foolish. Uh, anybody else here not like to look foolish? Yeah, if, if we're honest with ourselves, I'm guessing pretty much everybody does not like to look foolish, and I kind of I felt a little foolish driving that car around at first. Now I don't really care, um, but I, we, we don't like looking foolish. In fact, studies show that most people's number one fear is speaking in public. Is there anybody's uh, greatest fear speaking in public? Yeah, that, that's, that's, studies show that that's the most people's number one fear is speaking in public. That, be, that comes before the fear of death. More people are scared of speaking in public than they are afraid of dying. And we ask why, and I, and I think the answer is simple, is because we do not like to look foolish. We do not like to look foolish because if you're, if you're standing and talking in public, there, there's a good chance you, you might fumble a word or something. You, you guys know I do that all the time. And uh, you, you can possibly look foolish. And we as humans, we have this great fear of looking foolish. We don't want other people to think we are fools ourselves. And so this fear of foolishness, it's the fear of foolishness that keeps us from raising our hand in school or maybe in Sunday school prevents us from answering a question because we don't want to answer it wrong. It's the fear of foolishness that keeps us from asking someone out on a date. It's the fear of foolishness that keeps us from changing majors or jobs. And it's also the fear of foolishness uh, that keeps us from wearing a shirt with a stain on it or going to work with some greasy hair, as my, my dad has experience with that. We, we, we don't, you, you can ask, we, we, don't like, we don't like looking like a fool in front of others. We, we have this fear of looking like a fool in front of other people. But you see, that's where we run into trouble. This fear of looking foolish is where we run into trouble, because it's the fear of looking foolish. It's the fear of foolishness that sometimes keeps us from living out our faith. It's the fear of foolishness that sometimes keeps us from living out our faith. Because sometimes with the faith that we have, it looks foolish to people outside of the church. It looks foolish to people who don't put their faith in God. For, for sometimes we have a foolish-looking faith to those outside of our faith and those outside of the church. And that's where we can really run into a lot of problems because we, we all have this fear of looking foolish and sometimes we're just gonna look foolish with the faith that we have to those outside of the church. And so we, we need to conquer this fear of, of, of looking foolish when it comes to our faith. For I, I don't want our faith to be, uh, I, don't, I don't want our fear of looking foolish be a stumbling block into our lives as Christian men and women. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a couple of biblical examples of how sometimes the faith that we have can make us look awfully foolish. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. 
just the, the first book of the Bible in chapter 6. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, that's all right. Uh, the the uh, words will be projected um, behind me. But we'll t- be taking a look in Genesis chapter 6 and how someone looked awfully foolish because of the faith that he had. And as you're turning there, you'll see that, we're be, that we will be talking about Noah. And we all probably are familiar with the story of Noah and the ark, but we're going to do a little refreshing this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 11. Genesis 6, 11 reads, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So here God is talking to Noah, and God is saying, God's telling Noah that the earth is full of corrupt people. All people have gone corrupt. These people love violence. They're they're doing wicked acts. And we actually see, uh, we didn't read it, but in verse 6 it says, The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. God regretted that he made man. Why? Because man was so corrupt. We were turning, the man was turning to wicked acts, and we know that God has a firm stance against sin. God hates sin. And so God, God regretted that he made man. So, so God told Noah, he said, Noah, listen up. I'm about to destroy all the earth, and I'm going to destroy all flesh that is on the earth. And so we continue in in verse 14, and God's continuing to talk to Noah, and he says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And so God tells Noah that I'm going to destroy all of the earth and its flesh with a flood of water. But he says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you, Noah, and your family. And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to build a gigantic ark. And God tells Noah the specific dimensions of the ark that he's supposed to build. It's supposed to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits tall. Now, we don't really use the measurement of cubits anymore, but a cubit generally is the length between your elbow and the tip of your middle finger. That's about what a cubit is. And then they had a standard measurement of what a cubit was, but we aren't exactly sure what the that, that standard was. Um, and so a generous length uh, on, on the low end, a cubit we could say was about a foot and a half. And that's being generous. That, that's on the low side of things. But I want to be generous this morning. So if the, if the ark was to be 300 cubits long, that means the ark was to be 450 feet long. 450 feet long, Noah was to build an ark, a big wooden boat. Now that's a big number. We, we think of like a football field is about 300 feet, uh, excluding the end zones. And so you take about one and a half football fields is how long the ark was. Now, now if anybody likes to watch football, if, if we see someone like the, the big defensive lineman or, or whatever, they get an interception near uh, the, the, their, their own goal line and they go all the way and run the field that 100 yards, you know, then they go run into the sideline. What do they do? They need oxygen. 
because they're worn out because that was a long distance. And we take one and a half of those football fields, and that's how long the ark was. And we see that the ark was 50 cubits wide. And so that's about 75 feet wide. That's how big this ark was. Now, I did some measuring, and, and the sanctuary is about 35 feet wide. So we take two, so everybody look at the sanctuary. The, the ark was greater than two widths of the sanctuary as well. So it was one and a half football fields long and, and over two sanctuaries wide. I mean, this was a huge boat. And then on top of that, it was 30 cubits tall. So that's about 45 feet tall. That's about the height of a four-story house. <laughs> that, that's tall. That's tall. That, that's taller than this church, 45 feet. That's how tall. So this ark was ginormous. And in fact, in Kentucky, uh, they made a replica of the ark and, and its measurements. Has anybody here seen the replica of the ark in Kentucky? Uh, I, I, I want to go there someday. I, I, I'm jealous of you guys. Um, John Lehman, actually, uh, who, who was mentioned earlier in the prayer request, he, he actually got me a DVD of uh, the Ark Encounter. And uh, me and my family, we watched that on Friday night because that's what we like to do, Friday night entertainment. Let's watch a documentary about how the Ark uh, was built in the uh, Ark Encounter. Um, and, and so I look forward to it one day. But that boat was massive. And just imagine... How foolish Noah looked in front of all these other people. You know, I, I imagine kind of a, a common dialect or dialogue uh, taking place. Someone will come up and go, hey, Noah, what, what exactly are you building? And Noah will say, well, you know what? I, I am building a large ark for God instructed me. For God said that he was going to destroy the earth and all of its flesh, including you, pal. And, and just, imagine, <laughs> just imagine how foolish Noah would have looked in front of all these people. It's because of the faith that Noah had in God that caused him to look foolish amongst all the other people that, that would have seen this ginormous ark. And if you haven't seen it in Kentucky, I encourage you to do it, um, as I haven't seen it yet, but, but I long to see it. So we'll, we'll make sure to make a trip out there. And so we continue after God instructs uh, Noah and how big this ark is to be, but it doesn't stop there. As we all know, and it says in verse 19, God again talking to, to Noah, and he says, Of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to, to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So not only did, did God instruct Noah to, to build this ginormous ark, and not only would Noah look extremely foolish to those outside, to those who weren't in on the plan of God, imagine how more foolish Noah would have looked in herding all these different kinds of animals and directing them in the ark. I mean, we can all think of maniacs here. I'm sure if we think of maniacs, there's probably someone who comes to your mind and Noah would have seemed like a maniac back in the day. He would have looked beyond foolish and building this ginormous ark and herding all these animals into the ark. This is beyond foolish how Noah would have looked to those outside of the faith. For Noah looked foolish because of the faith that he had in God. Because you see, you see to, to other people, we, we, we may have a foolish looking faith. Although it isn't foolish looking, I don't want you guys to, to misunderstand me. It's not, it's not a foolish faith. 
But to those outside of our faith, it's very foolish looking. And, and, I, and I'm certain that people thought Noah was beyond foolish for, for building this ginormous ark and herding all these animals into it. So that's one, exa- that's one biblical example of how we see that our faith can cause us to look foolish to those outside of the faith. The next example we're going to take a look at is in Joshua. Joshua chapter 6, the sixth book of the Bible. There's the five books of the law and then 12 books of history. And Joshua is the first of the 12 books of history. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Joshua chapter 6. And we're just going to be reading verses 1 through 5. And this is all about the Israelites conquering the city of Jericho. Again, a story that many of us are familiar, but we're going to do some refreshing this morning. But to give us a little context before we read it, so we, we have to know um, that Moses, uh, he, he took the Israelites, he freed the Israelites from Egypt, and, and his goal was to lead them back to the promised land. Well, Moses wasn't allowed to enter um, the promised land because he struck the rock, um, and so he was forbidden to enter uh, the promised land. And so Joshua, the, su- the successor of Moses, actually was the one who ended up leading the people into the promised land. Moses led them right up to the east of the Jordan River, and it was the west of the Jordan River. My, my sister tells me I have to do it in reverse. She's doing communication skills. And she says, when I preach, I do it my way, but it's backwards to you. So the Jordan River, Moses led him to the east of the Jordan River, but the promised land was here to the west. And that's how, where Joshua led the Israelites into uh, the promised land. And so here we see that the promised land, it was filled with people already. That, that, that was the big problem. The, the promised land, the, God that, the, the land that God promised to Abraham and where the Israelites were to enter, there were other people already living in that land, the, the, the Canaanites. And the problem with the Canaanites is that they were a wicked people. God did not want the Israelites associating with the Canaanites, for the Canaanites worship many other gods, and God is a jealous God. He he doesn't like us giving us our our attention to other idols or to other gods. These people were so wicked that they even sacrificed their own kids to, to foreign Canaanite gods. I mean, these people were wicked, and God wanted the Israelites to drive these people out of the promised land. And so we see in cha- uh, chapter 6 of the book of Joshua, the Israelites encountered the city of Jericho, which is in the lands of Israel, the promised land. And we see in verse 1, it reads, Now Jericho was shut up uh, inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So what we see here is God's kind of telling Joshua and the Israelites to plan. And the rest of the chapter kind of goes into detail of them actually doing it. But what we see here is God is instructing Joshua and the Israelites to do a couple of things. One is that they have to march around the city of Jericho for six days. For six days, they were to march around the city of Jericho once. And while they were doing that, they were not allowed to talk. The only noise that they would be making is that the priests would be sounding the trumpets. And so these people, the Israelites, would be marching around this big city, silent, except for the the priests sounding the trumpets. Now I can just imagine the the people in Jericho, the, the, 
uh, civilians uh, of Jericho, I can just imagine them scoffing at the Israelites and thinking, who do these people think they are? They're, they're going to conquer our city by, by marching around it six days and not speaking any words, but signing a trumpet. I mean, is the, is the trumpet supposed to intimidate us? I could just imagine the, the, these people of Jericho scoffing at the people of Israel. I mean, again, we, we all know crazy people. And, and I imagine these people, when, when we see something crazy happening, uh, we, we like to point our friends and families like, yo, yo, check that out, man. And I can imagine these families of the city of Jericho are going to, to, their, to their relatives and friends like, yo, check all these Israelites, man. Look how foolish they are for marching around the city for six days. And then they did that for six days. Then on the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times. And again, no talking while marching around the city seven times. And then after they did that seven times, the priests were to give a long blast on the trumpet, and then everyone was to shout, and, and the wall was supposed to fall down. And you can read the story, the rest of the story in chapter 6 and see how it plays out. But that was the instructions that God gave to Joshua and the Israelites. And just imagine how foolish Joshua and the Israelites looked to the people living in the city of Jericho. For it was the the Israelites' faith in God that made them look foolish. Because again, sometimes the faith that we have makes us look foolish to those outside of the faith. So that's the second example. The the last example uh, that that we'll cover today, and and we won't necessarily read it, as I'm sure many of us are are well familiar uh, with the story, Um, but it's about um, the man Jesus himself. And Jesus is a superb example of someone looking foolish because of the faith that he had. And, And it's the story of Jesus and the crucifixion. And so the night before uh, Jesus uh, was to be crucified on the cross, um, he was aware of it, and he went to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he took along three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And Peter, or or not Peter, Jesus was praying to God, and and Jesus' prayer was to God. It says, Father, if it's possible, God, if it's possible, please let this cup be taken away. From me. In other words, Jesus is praying to God and saying, God, please, Father, please, if it's possible, please let me not to have to spill my blood for these people. Jesus didn't want to die. He, he wasn't all giddy about dying on the cross. But ultimately, thankfully, Jesus said, yeah, not what I will, but what you will, Father. But again, Jesus wasn't all giddy about going, hanging himself up or having the Romans hang him up on the cross. But thankfully, Jesus goes along with it as Jesus was an obedient and faithful son of God. And so the Jews that night, they, they go to uh, the garden and they arrest Jesus. And the Jews' charge against Jesus was for blasphemy. The Jews claimed that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. So you, so you hear that? The, the Jews were saying that they wanted to have Jesus killed of blasphemy because the Jews said that Jesus said that he was the Son of God. Now, now we have to be careful. Uh, th- this is a careful distinction. The Jews weren't saying that Jesus was claiming to be God the Son, but the Jews were saying that Jesus was claiming to be the Son 
of God. And so the Jews were accusing Jesus of claiming to be the son of God. A careful distinction, we have to be there. And so Jesus, uh, he, he goes through this trial uh, w- with the Jews and, and the Roman governor. Um, and, and it's this, this trial taking place, and it's not a fair trial at all. Um, but long story short, um, he, uh, he, he's deemed guilty. He's deemed guilty of blasphemy, and the Romans were to execute him on the cross. And before Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus was mocked at, he was spit at, he was whipped, he, he was scourged. If you remember what a scourge is, it, it's, a, it's a leather whip with metal pieces tied into the, the leather strips. And so, so these Roman uh, officers w- would whip Jesus with this uh, leather thongs and, and with the metal pieces in him, and it would stick to his body, and they would rip it off, and it, it would take chunks of Jesus' body off of him. I mean, he went through immense torture even before he was crucified. On top of that, he was being mocked at. He was being spit at. People were, were humiliating him. And then the crucifixion itself takes place, and, and Jesus was hung up on the cross. But there's a couple things we have to be aware of in the story of the crucifixion. One, Jesus was hung with a criminal on his left and on his right. You see, the, the punishment of the cross was a punishment for criminals, for, for the evil, evil men of the society. They were, they were to be executed on the cross. And Jesus was executed with, with two, I imagine, awful sinners, awful criminals. And Jesus was associated with those criminals. And on top of that, Jesus was hanging half naked up on the cross. I mean, just imagine how foolish our Lord and Savior looked in front of all the people as, as the people were mocking at him, continuing to spit at him. I mean, Jesus looked foolish on that cross. We, we often think when we look at the story of the crucifixion, we, we, we put our focus on the pain, and, and the pain would have been unreal for Jesus. We, all, we also had to be aware that Jesus was made a fool up there on the cross. He was made a fool, ha- hanging up, half naked, being spit at, mocked at, hanging with uh, other criminals. How humiliating. And that was our Lord and Savior. Our Lord and Savior, who, who, who although wasn't all giddy about dying on the cross, he was willing to do it because he was a faithful and obedient son. And, and it was God's will that that take place so that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins, that we could spend eternity with God in his coming kingdom here on earth. But how foolish Jesus would have looked in front of the people. And it's because of Jesus' relationship and his faith in God that made him look foolish in the eyes of all the other people. It's because Jesus was living out his faith that caused him to look foolish amongst all the other people. Your Lord and Savior was looking extremely foolish in front of all the other people. And so again, sometimes with the faith that we have, we we are required to look foolish in front of others. Noah, with his faith that he had in God, he, he looked foolish in building that big ark, but he did it because of the faith he had in God. The Israelites and Joshua marching around Jericho, they looked foolish in doing that, but they did that because of the faith they had in God. Jesus looked extremely foolish to the other people, but he was willing to do that, and he wanted to do that because of his, his faithfulness to his father, and he was obedient to his father. So our faith sometimes requires us to look foolish in front of others. And these are just three examples. I could have used a number of different examples. We could look at the example of Sarah. Sarah at the age of 90. I imagine she looked foolish buying maternity clothes. David, 
would have looked foolish when he went to battle against the giant Goliath with just a slingshot. Elijah would have looked foolish in trying to start a fire with water. The wise men would have looked foolish in following the star and trying to find the Messiah. Peter would have looked foolish in taking that step out on water. I mean, the heroes of our faith look foolish because of the faith that they have. For sometimes our faith requires us to look foolish to those outside of the church. But you see, the story doesn't end there for, for these great heroes of our faith. They don't just end there looking foolish. All these great heroes of our faith went on to achieve great things because they weren't afraid to look foolish. Sarah gave birth at the age of 90. And, and if we follow the, the, the line, that, that's Jesus' line. And Sarah gave birth at the age of 90. David defeated a giant with a slingshot. Elijah proved to all these prophets that Yahweh our God, the Lord, is God. The wise men, they, they indeed found the Messiah. Peter, he, he walked on water. No, he saved humanity. The Israelites conquered Jericho and Jesus died for the sins of the world. These people went on to achieve great things because they weren't afraid of looking foolish. They, weren't, they, didn't, have, they didn't let this fear of looking foolish overtake their, 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 their life. They didn't let it overtake their faith in God. And so don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from living out your faith. I mean, it's human nature to try and fit in uh, w with those around you. It's human nature to try and fit in with the society and culture that we're living in. But listen up, you cannot live in, in, in the society that we have and fit in. It's impossible. If you are a faithful child of God, it is impossible to fit in with our society and culture. And let me tell you, if, if you're the odd one out, you're going to look foolish. You're going to look foolish to those who, who are in the club or whatever. But don't worry about that. Don't care about that. A great indicator if someone is spiritually mature or not is that they care less and less what, other, what others think about themselves, and they care more and more about what God thinks about themselves. So please, 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 my, my message to you this morning is please don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from living out your faith. For, for that fear of looking foolish is very, very evident. As studies show, the number one fear for people is speaking in public because we're afraid of looking foolish in front of others. So please do not let that fear of looking foolish prevent you for, from living a life of faith for living a life for God. Don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from praying in a restaurant. Don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from reading a book that is thousands of years old, the Bible. Don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from bringing your Bible to school or to work or to wherever it may be. Don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from choosing not to drink too much when everyone else is. Or don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from singing to a God you can't see. Don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from controlling your language when it's the cool thing to swear and curse. Don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from raising your hands to a God you can't see. And don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from sharing this gospel message that we have with your family and with your friends and coworkers, employees and friends from school. Don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from living a life of faith. Because the honest truth is, to those outside, of the, those outside the faith, those outside the church, we do have a foolish-looking faith. But that is all right. Don't let that fear overcome your desire to live a life 
worthy, worthy of God and for God to be honored and glorified. So please don't let your fear of looking foolish prevent you from living out your faith. Let's be a church that's not worried about what others think about us. Let, let's be a church that is concerned about what God thinks about us and not what the people around us think about us. Let's embrace our faith as in church. Let's embrace our faith, our, our faith that sometimes, you know what, makes us look foolish to those outside of the church. Because, you know, sometimes we have a foolish-looking faith to those outside the church. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for uh, this day. Father, I thank you uh, for your word um, that we can uh, cement our faith in you. We, we can be sure that you are there, that, that we can be certain of the things that we do not see. And Father, I just pray uh, that we together as a church can be a church that uh, doesn't let our fear of looking foolish uh, prevent us from living a life of faith. Father, I just pray that, that you work great wonders through this church as we are a church that is courageous and bold and not concerned about the other fears, but Father, that we are a church that is concerned about serving you and living a life of faith. And Father, we, we long for the coming of your kingdom and we pray that it may come soon. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.